Peace be with you. My name is Drew. I'm one of the pastors here at Sojourn Heights. This week, we are continuing our, seri- our series through the Gospel of John. Um, we have been following along as the Gospel of John traces through a series of miracles or signs performed by Jesus. We saw water turned to wine. We saw a dying boy revived. We saw the lame walk. We saw the hungry abundantly fed. And today, the blind will see. Our passage today is a dramatization of John's prologue, okay? Let me read it. John chapter 1, verses 1 to 13. More reading. Deal with it. In the beginning was the Word, and the Word was with God, and the Word was God. He was in the beginning with God. All things were made through Him, and without Him was not anything made that was made. In Him was life, and the life was the light of men. The light shines in the darkness and the darkness has not overcome it. There was a man sent from God whose name was John. He came as a witness to bear witness about the light that all might believe through him. He was not the light, but came to bear witness about the light. The true light, which gives light to everyone, was coming into the world. He was in the world, and the world was made through him, yet the world did not know him. He came to his own, and his own people did not receive him. But to all who did receive him, who believed in his name, he gave the right to become children of God, who were born not of blood, nor of the will of the flesh, nor of the will of man, but of God. Within these verses, we have themes of light and darkness. We have themes of sending and bearing witness. We have themes of rejection. We have themes of new birth. And each of these themes can be found in John chapter 9. In addition, if we consider John chapter 9 within its immediate context, we read this, John chapter 8, verse 12. Jesus says, I am the light of the world. Whoever follows me will not walk in darkness, but will have the light of life. Here in John chapter 9, a man who has walked in darkness since birth comes to see the light. He is given eyes to see the world around him, but more importantly, He is given eyes to see the light of the world. Now, we've got 41 verses to cover today, so we're going to be exploring a few key details, but for the most part, we are zooming out and looking at this story as a whole, all right? Verse 1, as Jesus passed by, he saw a man blind from birth, and his disciples asked him, Rabbi, who sinned, this man or his parents, that he was born blind? Jesus answered, It was not that this man sinned or his parents, but that the works of God might be displayed in him. We must work the works of him who sent me while it is day. Night is coming when no one can work. As long as I am in the world, I am the light of the world. Having said these things, he spit on the ground and made mud with the saliva. Then he anointed the man's eyes with the mud and said to him, Go. Wash in the pool of Siloam, which means sent. So he went and washed and came back seeing. Jesus, why was this man born blind? Did he do something wrong or did his parents do something wrong? No. This man was born blind that the works of God might be displayed in him. That is so incredibly profound. Truly. That is so incredibly profound. This man was born blind that the works of God might be displayed in him. Everything we endure, 
everything we suffer is ultimately intended to put the works of God on display. Everything. If, that's, if it's true of a baby boy being born blind, then it's true of your unsatisfying job. And it's true of the relational tension in your neighborhood parish. It's true of your chronic illness, your addiction, and everything in between. And so mature Christian people learn to stop asking, why is this happening to me? We learn to start asking, what is God doing? What is he trying to teach me here? What is he trying to display to the world through me? Instead of looking backward to the cause of our suffering, we look forward to the revealing of God's glory through our suffering. Okay, so Jesus spits on the ground and makes mud, and he anoints the man's eyes, and he commands the man to wash in the pool of Siloam, the pool of sending. The mud, I think, is an allusion back to the creation of Adam. I'm not going to have us turn there, but back in Genesis chapter 2, God forms Adam from the dust of the ground, and the text clearly says that the ground was wet. So, God made Adam out of mud, which means the blind man here in John chapter 9 is being presented as a new creation. He was born blind, but he was reborn with sight. He was born in darkness, but he is reborn because the darkness is no match for the light. Now, what about the pool of Siloam? John makes a point to translate and even go so far as to interpret the word for us. Jesus commands the blind man to wash in the pool of sending. And at this point in the story, it's not clear why John would do this. But as we will see, Jesus is sending this man out as a sheep in the midst of wolves. He is sending this man to shine light in the darkness. He is sending a once blind man to bear witness before those who refuse to see. Verses 8 and 9. The neighbors and those who had seen him before as a beggar were saying, is this not the man who used to sit and beg? Some said, it is he. Others said, no, but he is like him. He kept saying, I am the man. So, some of his neighbors say, this is the same guy. Some of his neighbors say, it's a different guy. And to both of them, the man says, literally, I am. We translate the phrase, I am the man, but what he actually says is, I am. So he is both the same guy and a different guy. Having encountered Jesus, he is both the same guy and a different guy. That's not all. The phrase, I am, is the name that God gives to himself way back in the book of Exodus. It's also a phrase that Jesus uses repeatedly through the Gospel of John. I am the bread of life. I am the light of the world. I am the door. I am the resurrection and the life. I am the good shepherd. I am the way, the truth, and the life. I am the true vine. And here we find the very same phrase upon the lips of a man born blind who is reborn by the hands of Jesus and washed in the pool of sending. So Jesus sends this man out as his representative. He's going to send him before the Pharisees as his representative. And the man says, I am. And this sending and representation is even more pronounced because at this point in the story, Jesus disappears from the narrative completely. He's gone. According to verse 13, the man's neighbors brought him to the Pharisees. They dragged him before the Pharisees because the, he because the healing had taken place on the Sabbath. It's a big no-no. 
And as you picture them bringing the man to the Pharisees, I want you to imagine a courtroom scene. The man is being summoned to testify before a Jewish ruling council. Later in verse 25, the Pharisees say to the man, give glory to God, which was a common Hebrew idiom equivalent to putting a person under oath. So the Pharisees are effectively saying, I want you to tell the truth, the whole truth, and nothing but the truth, so help you God. Again, it's a courtroom scene. So they begin questioning the man, and the man begins to give testimony concerning Jesus. But at this point, his knowledge is very limited. When asked about Jesus, the man is only able to say he is a prophet. So the Pharisees call in expert witnesses. They call the man's parents to the stand, and they are able to confirm that their son had indeed been born blind. That's as far as they are willing to go to protect him. They are afraid of the Pharisees, so rather than standing with their son, they distance themselves. Ask him. He's of age. He can speak for himself. And so the Pharisees go back to the man. They question him again. And this time, it's as if he has matured. The light of his testimony is fuller and brighter. He's bold. He's bold even to the point of sarcasm. He clearly understands the conundrum facing the Pharisees. If Jesus is a lawbreaker, then he should not be able to do miracles. But if Jesus is a miracle worker, then it's tough to accuse him of being a lawbreaker. Thus, either there was no miracle and Jesus is a sinner for working on the Sabbath, or there was a miracle and Jesus is shattering their paradigms and even undermining their authority. Jesus has them cornered. And the man born blind can see that very clearly. So initially, the man calls Jesus a prophet, but this time he goes a step further. He says that Jesus is from God. Verses 31 to 33. Again, this is his courtroom testimony. We know that God does not listen to sinners, but if anyone is a worshiper of God and does his will, God listens to him. Never since the world began has it been heard that anyone opened the eyes of a man born blind. If this man were not from God, he could do nothing. And he's right. The Old Testament does not contain a single example of a person being healed from congenital blindness, meaning blindness from birth. However, the Old Testament does contain several references to a coming Messiah who would open the eyes of the blind. Thus, by saying that Jesus is from God, the man is suggesting that Jesus, if he's done this, if he's truly done this, must be the Messiah. And how do the Pharisees respond to that? Verse 34, they answered him, you were born in utter sin, and you would teach us? And they cast him out. They excommunicate the man cast him out of the synagogue. They would rather live in darkness than have the light expose their error. They would rather be blind than change the way they see the world or the way they read the scriptures or the way they practice their faith. They would rather hang out with Moses in the wilderness than follow Joshua into the land. They would rather murder Jesus than hand over their authority. And so the once blind man turns out to be a bold witness for a healer he barely knows. He stands before a council of highly trained Bible experts, and they bully him, and they threaten to throw him out of the synagogue, but he stands his ground. And I think that should be a reminder for us. 
Let's not be so quick to question the genuineness of a person's faith based upon their ability or inability to articulate the gospel. Yes, we should all be growing towards a mature profession of faith. That is a mark of maturity. But the man in John chapter 9 encountered Jesus in a powerful way, despite the fact that he did not understand everything quite yet. We need to have a category for faith and faithfulness without mature knowledge. It's not okay to stay there, but that doesn't make it wrong to start there. It's not until the very end of the narrative that the man encounters Jesus again. Verses 35 to 39, Jesus heard that they had cast him out, and having found him, he said, do you believe in the Son of Man? He answered, and who is he, sir, that I may believe in him? Jesus said to him, you have seen him, and it is he who is speaking to you. He said, Lord, I believe, and he worshiped him. Jesus said, for judgment I came into this world, that those who do not see may see, and those who see may become blind. And that is really the perfect summation of John chapter 9. For the man born blind, things get brighter and brighter and brighter. He grows and matures. And for the Pharisees, things get darker and darker and darker. And they go further and further out of their way to avoid seeing the truth, that Jesus Christ is the Son of Man, the Messiah, the light of the world, the King of kings in the flesh. He's Yahweh incarnate, the Lord of the Sabbath, and He has come to give sight to the blind. There's a lingering question here, though, because for 27 verses, Jesus is absent. Where was He? Where did He go and why? Why would He leave this man to face the Pharisees alone? We have witnessed Jesus' ability to win a theological debate. We have seen Him silence an angry mob with a single quip. So why would the good shepherd leave this sheep in the midst of wolves? Jesus, who, who has promised to be with us always, re-enters this story at precisely the wrong moment. He's too late. The man has already been condemned by the Pharisees and cast out of the synagogue. But I think the meaning of this chapter, the meaning of it, is revealed when we seek to answer those sorts of questions. Jesus wants so much more than to give the blind man seeing eyes. Jesus is determined to reveal himself to the man. He isn't just seeing light. He's seeing the light, the light of the world. And that turns out to be a very difficult process. The Pharisees condemn and excommunicate, but Jesus is waiting just outside that synagogue with open arms. And the condemnation of the world turns out to be the vindication of Christ and His disciples. We see that most clearly in the cross. John chapter 9 must have been a source of incredible comfort for the early church. Jesus had ascended into the heavens. He was physically absent, but His disciples were expected to persevere in His absence through trial. They were chastised by their neighbors, they were dragged into court, they were abandoned by their biological families, and they were literally cast out of the synagogues. But they had placed their hope in a future reunion with Jesus, the one who had healed them, the one who had given them eyes to see. So this is also a model for our own discipleship. John chapter 9 is all about blindness and the opposite of blindness. But 
The opposite of blindness, it turns out, according to John chapter 9, is not actually sight. The opposite of blindness is being sent. In fact, we learn to see as we are sent. When we obey the command of Christ to live our lives as living testimonies to the Lordship of Jesus and the new creation kingdom He is bringing, that's when we truly begin to see the world with new eyes. Every baptized Christian has washed in the pool of sending. Jesus has given us new eyes. We, we have seen the light of the world, and we are called to bear witness to the world concerning that light. And yet, sometimes... Jesus feels absent. He has promised to be with us always, and sometimes He feels absent. In those moments, we need to remember that He is still the Good Shepherd. It's not a mistake that John chapter 10, the very next chapter, is all about His being the Good Shepherd. He sends out His sheep amidst the wolves for their good. Suffering and trial are for our good. When suffering is mixed with persevering faith, that's when we begin to see and mature, and that's when we begin to bear powerful witness to the world. So in times of suffering, when Jesus seems absent, we can know and trust that really He is never more present. When Jesus seems to have disappeared, we can trust that we will soon find Him again, and we will see Him more clearly we will experience Him more deeply, having suffered in His name. In the words of Malcolm Muggeridge, I really like that name, I can say with complete truthfulness that everything I have learned in my 75 years in this world, everything that has truly enhanced and enlightened my existence has been through affliction and not through happiness. Similarly, Samuel Rutherford said, when cast into the cellars of affliction, remember, the great king keeps his wine there. The man born blind was willing to stand with Jesus, even if it meant being all alone. He was willing to suffer for Jesus, even if it meant being all alone. He was willing to cling to Jesus, even if it meant losing his status. He was willing to be a witness for Jesus, even when Jesus felt absent, even when Jesus was nowhere to be seen. And by the end of John chapter 9, the man knows Jesus personally and experientially. His knowledge of Jesus grows through the crucible of suffering. He has become a true theologian. No catechisms, no Bible studies, no seminary, just trial. And yet, the man born blind has come to see Jesus face to face. That's the sort of discipleship Jesus requires. We bear witness to the light no matter the consequences, and we know that in the end, the light will overcome the darkness. And having persevered through our suffering, through our trial, we will see Jesus face to face. John 16, in the world you will have tribulation, but take heart, Jesus has overcome the world. Let's pray. Heavenly Father, it is a wonderful privilege to be counted among your children. It's also a wonderful responsibility. We desire to see the works of God displayed in us and through us for the world to see. Jesus, we receive your sending. We ask that you would be near to us as you have promised to be, as we bear witness to the light. We thank you for the gift of sight, new eyes. Even in the darkness, we can see you 
and trust that you are our good shepherd. Holy Spirit, help us to persevere in suffering, to boldly bear witness in the midst of trial and affliction. Work through us, work through us to bring the light of life to all people. In the name of the Father, the Son, and the Holy Spirit. Amen.